So, I have a very important question to ask you this morning, and that question is this. Do you like grace? Oh wait, by the way, my name is Rick. I am so glad to be back again this morning. It's been over a year since I've been in front of you. Uh, My first time on this uh, podium. Please help me make sure I don't go over the edge. Um, It's wonderful to be back. If you ever don't see our family on the front row, I would really appreciate your prayers. That usually will mean that we're off at a church for a pulpit supply or maybe a missions conference or retreat. And so I appreciate your prayers for us as we have opportunity to go to different churches on different Sundays. So, do you like grace. Are you going to volunteer an answer? <laughs> you guys are... You guys are too, you're too close to the edge. See if he has it. I'm worried about, I'm worried about you. I'm making you dizzy? Yeah, we're worried about you. Well, while you're here, do you like grace? <laughs> Does everyone feel better now? So let me start with a story. The problem is I've preached so many sermons at this church that uh, I've lost track of which stories you've heard. But if you've heard this story, bear with me because there's an update to it that you certainly will not have heard. But do you like grace? Let me give you this case study of what happened to me when I... Well, this is going back a long time ago. i got to go back to 1986, and I was just starting my seminary career. I was starting at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School as a master's student. And what had happened is when uh, I grew up in Chicago and when I finished uh, my undergraduate work, I applied to go to Trinity, and I got in, and they told me that the dorms were very full and I should get on the waiting list. So I did, and they said it would be about one to two-year waiting list. And so I got on the waiting list, and I then left to Taiwan, where I started learning Mandarin, and I met my wife at a Mandarin language church in Taipei. And in 1986, we got married, and as a married couple, we moved to Chicago, where I was to begin seminary. So far, so good. I went to the housing office, and I said I would like to change from single housing to married housing. And they said, that's no problem. And they said, you're, about a num- you're number about 130-something. On the waiting list, that will take about two years to get a house. And I said, no, 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 I applied two years ago. It's okay. Uh, just check my single. And they said, no, no, that's not how that works. You have to go to the very end of the list. And I thought, oh, that doesn't seem fair. But if that's the rule, that's the rule. Well, I started taking classes, that uh, uh, an intensive class before the beginning of the semester, and I met a young fellow, same age as me, uh, mid-20, about 24, 25 years old, and he had just gotten married, just like me. And he was living in the family housing. And I said, how did you do that? How did you know you just got married? He said, oh, no problem. He said, two years ago I applied as a single and I just told them my date that I applied from when I was a single and they applied it to married housing and we got a dorm first semester. Huh. Gets worse. 
started after my intensive course. I went for the first week of classes, and they had a period of opportunity for students to give their testimonies about wonderful things that God has been doing in their lives since they've come to Trinity for just the first week or two of classes. And I remember I was sitting about here and there was a young man sitting over here and he stood up and he said, you won't believe this. He said, I just got married. And he said, I went and applied for family housing. And they told me my number was 130-something. And I said, yeah, welcome to the group. And he said, after a week, I went over to the office, and I just wanted to ask again about how long it would take. You know, a year, a year and a half, two years, I wanted to clarify. So I stood in line at family housing, and the couple in front of me left, and I went up to the counter, and the person there said, you are so lucky. That couple just canceled their dorm. Do you want it? And he stood in chapel at Trinity, put his hands in the air, and said, praise God, God is good. You say, what do you think I thought? What do you think the 130 of us thought that were all ahead of him on that waiting list? I have to think the poor uh, person from the housing office was just shrinking under the chair. Do you really like grace? What about when it is not fair? Do you still like grace? Well, that is exactly the story we have today. It is the story of the older brother. So we have the famous story of the prodigal son, and it's a beautiful story, right? The son grows up and he tells his father that he wants his share of the inheritance now, and the father doesn't want to give it to him, but he loves the son, so he gives it to him, and the son goes off to a faraway land, and he squanders the money on evil living on parties and women and dance and singing. He uses up all his money, and he realizes when a famine hits the land, he wants to go home. Home. And the father, when he sees his son in the distance, he embraces his son. My son, who was dead, is alive again. And we must celebrate. Kill the fattened calf, for we will celebrate. Okay, that's the story of the prodigal son. What about the older brother sitting there? Wondering, oh, praise God, isn't that great? What about the older son who didn't do anything wrong? How much is he celebrating? Let's take a look this morning at the older son. We're looking at Luke 15, 25-32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother
I can't see what I'm doing up here. You guys moved my podium. <laughs> Verse 28. The older brother became angry. I'll just read it. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who was squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want to suggest this morning that the attitude of the older brother toward grace is the typical attitude. It's looking at what is fair and looking with a critical spirit. And I fear far too often that is our response. We're ignorant of the heart of God. We have anger and bitterness in our heart, but we have a decision. Do we go in? Are we willing to celebrate the repentance and the grace given to somebody else? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this morning, through these verses, you speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ignorant. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. This older son just seems like a Pharisee to me. I think of the Pharisees as just being the ones who sit with their arms crossed, and they look across the room, and they're thinking about all the problems you have and thinking about how much better it is to be who I am. Um, I think one time where I really got a handle on this attitude of the Pharisees was when I joined the faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So the story I just told was 1986. In 2003, I was on the faculty. I had just received my PhD in modern Chinese studies. I was very proud of myself. I was joining the faculty of my alma mater, and I remember the first uh, semester, each semester, about the third or fourth weekend, they had what was called a day of prayer. And I recall at this day of prayer I attended. It was my first time to go as a faculty, and I sat in the chapel. It's a large chapel, several hundred people. And uh, the first hour was dedicated to repentance. Repentance. 
that the, the person at the front encouraged all of us to if, you know, sit in our chair or find a place in the chapel away from other people. Uh, if you want, you could get on your knees and to spend one solid hour in the day of prayer repenting of your sin and preparing your heart because part two would be prayer for the community at the seminary, then part three, pray for the world. So the first hour, pray for repentance. And I remember I got down on my knees and I started to pray. And I remember I really got into it. I was really praying. I was really praying from my heart. And it, the time went so fast. It was a beautiful moment. We, we were given an hour, and I remember we had from 9 to 10 o'clock, and it hit about 9.50, and I felt like I was just about completed with my time. I felt really good, really refreshed, and thankful to God for the forgiveness of Christ that when we confess our sins, He forgives us, etc. I put up my head, and I looked out at the chapel, several hundred seminary students. I'm supposed to be the professor. And all of a sudden, I thought, I wonder if anybody saw me. And what would they think if they saw the professor sitting there for 45 minutes, praying so heartily, pouring out his sin, confessing his sins? Wouldn't, and all of a sudden, I thought, wouldn't that be embarrassing if anybody saw me? So I popped my head up, and I looked around the room, and they were all with their heads down. They were praying. So thank goodness uh, no one noticed how, how completely I had put myself into this period of confession. But I thought about it more. What would the alternative be? What if the faculty didn't put down their head and confess their prayers? What would the alternative have been? What if I had sat with my head high and looked over the students? Ah, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you better, you better have your head down. You better be in tears. Is that what I would want from the faculty? And all of a sudden it hit me. That is the Pharisees, isn't it? It's the faculty looking over the students saying, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, you better keep praying. Yeah, yeah, oh, I see you too. That seems to be the attitude of this older son. Do you think he's a happy man? Think of this question. Do you think that was the first time he saw something like this and he was bitter? Do you think he was a happy man year after year and all of a sudden he, that day became bitter? I don't think the story tells us, but it's, the story suggests to me that this was a very bitter man. He did not understand his father, and he did not understand God. And he lived a life that was bitter, a pattern of bitterness, a lifestyle of bitterness. It's tragic. Is it not? But what does Jesus say as the story goes on? We see he's ignorant. We see he's second. We see he's angry. And it says then, the older brother became angry and refused. 
Okay. That's it. The older brother became angry and refused. I would walk over and look at it, but all of you worry I'm going to fall, right? So the older brother became angry and refused to go in, but he answered his father, Look at all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. And we see this anger come up out of him. It's not fair. It's not right. I've been doing all the right things. How many of us have that attitude? When we're at home, how come I have to do this chore? How come it's not her? How come it's him that does that chore? It's always me. How about at church? Why is it always me that has to do this job? I don't see that person doing anything. What about at work? It's not fair. It's not right that this is always my responsibility. I fear so many of us have this lifestyle, this pattern of bitterness that we just see this unfairness all over the place. And it's heartbreaking. I remember one time, I still felt like it's unfair. I remember um, I had uh, been called to be a missionary, so I've mentioned that. And uh, so I went to Taiwan where I, I married my wife in Taiwan in 1986. We went to Trinity for four years. Then in 1990, four years after four years in Chicago, we moved back to Taipei. And I was going to begin my teaching career uh, in uh, Taiwan at that point. So we were uh, moved in Taiwan, and I was becoming a, a, a fresh new missionary. I had my MDiv degree, my THM degree, and I was going to begin to teach. And I found out that a teacher in Taiwan does not make very much money. The seminary, thankfully, had arranged for us to live in an apartment. But if you've ever had an apartment in Taipei, you know that it comes with nothing. It's just blank cement walls. And so it had nothing inside of it. And so including, it didn't have a, um, a refrigerator. And we noticed there's no refrigerator, there's no air conditioner, there's no nothing. And the president of the seminary said, I have great news for you. <laughs> Someone has donated a refrigerator to the seminary and they're going to bring it tomorrow or whenever. And uh, the next day the refrigerator arrived and it was in the middle of our living room and it was filthy dirty. I have never seen anything so dirty in my life, just covered with grease. Think of a Taiwanese kitchen where you're cooking year after year and all the grit and grime, and nobody has ever taken a cloth to this thing, and it's sitting there, and we're thinking, does the thing even turn on? But of course, you can't turn it on for a few hours. However, so this thing is filthy, and I want to do something. So I'm thinking, uh, what can I do? Somebody, did you ever hear this? Somebody suggested the way to clean that grit and that grime off of a refrigerator is to use, uh, anybody? Toothpaste. Toothpaste. So I thought, I don't hardly believe that, but what else am I going to do? So I got a bunch of rice. This is August in Taipei. This is the hottest place in the world. Well, 
This is a hot and humid place, and there I am in August, and I'm in my shorts and my t-shirt, and I got all these rags, and I have a big tube of toothpaste, and I start rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. And it works, kind of. Takes a huge amount of elbow grease, a huge amount of energy, but little by little, it was working. You know what? That's why I didn't want to be a missionary. I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to have to be sitting in the middle of August cleaning a refrigerator with rags and toothpaste. This just was not fair. What's the problem we have? What's the problem? that I have over and over again? What's the problem you have over and over again? What's the problem that the older brother has? He doesn't look at the face of the Father. He doesn't look at the grace of the Father, the love of the Father. He didn't appreciate what he did have. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father noticed this. The father who had grace on the younger son, the prodigal, now has grace on the older brother the bitter one. The father went out and pleaded with him. Can you hear this father? He sees his son who's bitter and it breaks his heart. Just like the younger prodigal son. The older son is breaking his heart. My son, the father said, My son, can we hear the Father speak into our ears? My son, the Father said, you are always with me. You are always with me. What more could we hope for? What more do we want? Why do I choose my bitterness? Why do I choose my jealousy? You are always with me and everything I have is you and everything I have is yours. There's this vast abundance and it is available all day every day all the time. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God knows what's best. I 
said when we're not here, sometimes we're off preaching somewhere else. So last week I was preaching at another church and we weren't here. Um, And I was preaching this message. And uh, something happened while I was preaching the message. I think I got it. Uh, I want to pre-test the material before I show it to you guys, so I (laughs) used it last week. Um, You know what happened in 1986 when we didn't get that dorm? What had happened... um, Initially, we moved. We were just married in Taipei. My wife had never left the country, had never left Taiwan her entire life. She moved to Chicago, and we lived with my mother. We were told that we couldn't get into family housing. So Pei Fang, she found a job two blocks away from my mom's house. And that all of a sudden meant, well, we wouldn't be moving to near Trinity. If you know, we live in uh, Evanston, which is about an hour away from where Trinity is. So she found a job here. And that was such a miracle. It was such a blessing. And that meant that we would live there. And we ended up living halfway between my mom's house and her job. One block from my mom, one one block from her job. And I would have to do the hour commute. That meant we ended up going to a church that didn't have other Trinity students. We ended up at a church that had Northwestern University students who are also in Evanston. And so we made wonderful friends at that church. We made friends with the pastor. Four years later when I graduated, it was that pastor who actually did my ordination to become a pastor. There were so many blessings upon blessings as a result of living in Evanston those four years. My cousin moved to Evanston while we were there. He's the cousin who led my sister to Christ, and he's the cousin who then led me, and uh, first my sister, and then my sister, and my cousin, they then led me to Christ. So he came, and he was living there with his young wife. I was there with my young wife. I was young too, remember. Um, it's not a different wife. It, we were both young. You're following this, right? So I was there, and my wife got to know my cousin who led me to Christ and his wife. They had a baby. We got to know their firstborn. My sister and her husband ended up moving to Evanston. They had their baby there. And that was the opportunity for my wife to get to know my life, to get to know my family, to get to know my heart. That was 1986 to 1990. Three weeks ago, we went home. We didn't go home. We went to Pennsylvania, where my mom lives now. My mom is there, and my sister was there. And my son had decided to have a wedding celebration. They got married during COVID, and they did a wedding celebration in Pennsylvania. Matthew, our son who lives in San Francisco. And he wanted to do that for my mom because my mom is 90 years old and we don't know if there'll be another opportunity. And so we scheduled uh, at the end of June, we scheduled to have a a reunion together and have this wedding celebration. My cousin was there and his wife. My sister was there. My mom was there. I remember um, 
After the day after the celebration, we decided to do a little worship, a family worship in my mom's hospital room. And uh, my family, um, Leah and her boyfriend and Andy and Peifang and me, uh, we were all there, um, just, just my family. My sister was uh, at her own church, but uh, we were all there. And my mom was there, and Matthew and his young new wife came in a couple minutes later. And by the time they got there, there was nowhere to sit. We were sitting in a circle, so they sat in the hospital bed, on the edge of the hospital bed. And so as it, you don't have to picture it, but as it turned out, we were in a circle with my son and his new wife sitting right in the middle of us. And it seemed so symbolic to welcome her to the family. I asked Pei Fang beforehand, um, I, I said at the end of our worship, I'd like to play a uh, worship song. And I said, you know what my mom likes? And she said, oh yeah. She said her favorite song, she says, I know, is How Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art. And as I was getting ready to play that song as part of our family worship, I shared with my mom that it's so interesting that I didn't know my mom's favorite hymn. But Pei Fang, she knew. How did she know? We had four years living in the same neighborhood. God good. At the church last week, I confessed that uh, in 2003, that was more, well more than 10 years later, I went to Trinity to be on the faculty. I was still bitter. I was still mad at housing office. I was thinking I might want to go in there and see if anybody's still here who worked in the office back in the day. I was still bitter. Then I thought, well, that wouldn't be appropriate for a new faculty to go in and chew them out. So I, Then I had another fear. I, what if I run into them on campus and will I be able to hold my tongue and not lash out at them or something? I was bitter for a long time. And you know what happened while I was at this part in the sermon last week as it hit me. I've been holding this bitterness for 35 years. And you know what I should have done that very day in 1986 when he stood up and said, praise God, I wish I would have stood up and said, praise God. I have no idea who that guy was, and I don't know why he needs that dorm, but to this day, he may tell people the story of why he and his wife needed that dorm at that time. And clearly, God had a better plan for me, for my wife, for my cousin and his wife, for my sister and her family, for all of us, and we've been enjoying the blessing for years and years. I pray that when something happens that doesn't seem right, I pray that I can just give thanks by faith. It's a strange story, this one. 
because there's no ending. You notice that? You come to the end of the story. You don't know if this older son, if he goes in or not, do you? It just ends. Son, come in. And then it ends. The reason seems clear. It doesn't really matter if that older son goes in or not, does it? What really matters is whether I go in or whether are willing to go in, to celebrate, to enjoy the presence of the Father. I am always with you. Everything I have is yours. Son, please come in and celebrate. I chose wrong in 1986. I was bitter for a long time, maybe until last week. However, the other story I told is much happier. I was in Taiwan in our apartment with my tube of toothpaste and my rags covered with sweat from head to toe. And you know what I realized? I was not what I suggested. I was not thinking, this is why I didn't want to be a missionary. This isn't right. This isn't fair. What I realized about two or three hours into scrubbing this thing, I realized I was humming. I was humming a Christian song. I was singing praises to God. My heart was filled with joy. Why? Because I knew God was calling me to missions in Taiwan. I knew that I was right in the center of the plan of God. I knew that God was always with me. And I knew that God would provide everything I need. And my heart sang with joy. That's our choice to choose to embrace the Father and go into the celebration or continue a pattern, a habit of bitterness. Let us choose the celebration. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we confess, we all the time look around the room and say, that's not right, that's not fair, why me, why, why, why? Lord, we confess it again. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be different, that you would help us to choose to rejoice to have faith that you are in charge. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't only look back 35 years ago and give thanks, but I pray that at the moment we can give thanks and maybe 35 years later we'll be able to figure out why. Or maybe not, but it doesn't matter because we can look into your face, the face of the Father who always loves us. 
the face of the Father who always loves us and has prepared everything we need for us. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.